through 41. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses uh, of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you uh, intend to do to these men. Some time ago, uh, Theudas appeared, uh, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it, it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the uh, Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, excuse me, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they uh, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin uh, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. All right, so we want to look at this text this morning. And uh, as I was meditating on this, um, you know, I I wanted to share with you about the church today. I mean, a lot of this is about the early church. And uh, I I remember a time, you know, you you all know that I have three kids, and uh, uh, for those of you who have kids, you probably remember this uh, if they're past this stage already. But I remember a time when my kids were going through a Y phase. Do you guys know what that is? Y phase? Y phase? Yeah, it's Y, 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 right? Um, um, and uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter what answer you give them. Nothing satisfies them. You know, it's like, hey, uh, let's, let, let's, let's uh, get your coat on. It's like, Why? Because we have to leave. Why? Uh, because we're going to church. Why? Because we're going to worship. Why? You know, it's, it's insane. And then eventually, uh, you know, you, you, you start out, no parent starts out as horrible, impatient parent. Every parent starts out good, understanding, patient, and wanting to do the best for kids. But I have, I have you know, a theory that why phase is one of the things that really turns the parents around you know and so eventually you end up your answer is not as patient it's uh it's because i said so that's where you end up you know after about 10th why you say because i said so because mommy said so because daddy says so because that's that's life just get over it put your shoes on get up we're leaving um you know and, and they ask all these questions and and we get frustrated with it uh, but if you really sit down and think about it, that is a really crucial part in their developmental phase. You know, because it, the rest of their life, rest of our lives, um, why? The answer to this question, why, will determine everything we do. 
and everything we don't do, right? The answer to the question, why? That becomes our motivation or lack of motivation for everything in life. And so it's really important that we we learn to uh, develop how to think critically and we learn to answer why in a constructive manner, not just to be annoying, right? But to answer why. Uh, constructively so that we can know what what we're doing. And and depending on the answer to this why question, sometimes history can change. That's how important this why question is. And that's how important this why question is for our text today. So we We kind of jumped right into Acts 5.29 where the Peter and the other apostles, they were being questioned. Remember, this is their second time. Persecution is beginning to get intensified, right? Because they were already arrested once and they had them stay overnight in jail. And then, um, you know, they, uh, but they, they let them go the first time. And then this time they were arrested again, okay? They were arrested again. Um, and uh, what happened was they, uh, the uh, Apostles, they, they were very brave. They were being courageous and they were bold because there was a filling of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they're going out and preaching the gospel and people were being healed. And remember, uh, we've been talking about the, the dynamic, uh, just power of the early church. You know, not only were people getting healed, but people were sharing their possessions and all these awesome things were happening. And a lot of people obviously were giving them respect, right? And uh, obviously the religious leaders of the time, and I showed you that picture a couple weeks ago of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day and the leaders that were part of the Sadducees Pharisees the high priests the temple guards you know all these people they were uh, becoming more and more uneasy about this they're becoming jealous and they're becoming envious I think in some ways you know and uh, what was happening what you know in the early church as they were teaching and and people were getting healed and all these things a thought that came to my mind um, that I wanted to uh, uh, highlight just really quickly is that You know, the, the uh, stuff that people were doing in the early church, right? Sharing their positions and praying for each other and people were getting healed, helping one another, coming together, breaking bread together. Um, the, the community, the society was actually changing, right? But here's the thing. Jesus actually never uh, preached and taught uh, social gospel. He never really preached um, um, just, uh, you know, uh, human rights issues. He, he, he didn't really, uh, that wasn't his agenda. He, he didn't talk about political issues. These are all things that, that were mentioned in his teaching, but they were never at the forefront. They were never at the uh, main agenda. They were never the main issue for Jesus uh, and the people. The main thing, you look at Jesus preaching and you look at Peter after the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to preach, The first thing he says in the first sermon, the second sermon, the third sermon, and and, and the sermons that he was was preaching before this, what was he saying? He said what? Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. So Jesus came and his message was for forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive our sins. Jesus came to give us hope of redemption. Jesus came to give us real understanding of who we are, what we are about, why we were created, and why we we are in this plight that we're in, this condition that we are in, this brokenness we are in. Tim Keller, a pastor from New York uh, Church, he says this once, Jesus didn't come primarily to solve the economic, political, and social problems of the world. He came to forgive our sins. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus didn't come primarily to solve the economic, political, and social problems of the world. He came to forgive our sins. 
right? So this is very interesting because a lot of people will take that first part, political problems, social problems, economic problems, all these things, and they'll make it the gospel. They'll make it their agenda, and they'll make it their issue, and that's their banner that they're carrying. But here's the thing. That wasn't, Jesus didn't come to preach that. He didn't come to solve that. He came, and his message was very clear. He came to provide a way through himself for us to be forgiven of our sins. But here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting. When you get that, when you understand that is the core of the message, that is the gospel message, the political problem, the economic problem, the social problems, they get addressed. If you go the other way around, it doesn't. But if you understand the core of the gospel message, the good news, the fact that Jesus came to forgive our sins, what what does he mean by that? It means that there is a fundamental problem with every single human being that unless it gets resolved, unless it gets addressed, everything else that you try to do, it's on the surface. And so that's what Jesus came to fix. That's what Jesus came to heal. And that's why Peter's message, he never said, go out and feed the poor, go out and heal people. He never said, we gotta, we're dealing with human rights issue here, and we're going to revolt against the government and all these things because of political oppression. He doesn't say that. He talks about what Jesus did. He talks about God's you know, works throughout the Old Testament all the way up to their time, and he talks about what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. And when that gets addressed, and people say, what do we do, what do we do? he says repent and believe and when that message is heard clear and when that message is embraced embraced people begin to share things people begin to make sacrifice people begin to take care of one another people begin to take care of the orphans people begin to go look look and care for the widows who don't have the incomes that they have they used to have through their husband. So, so this is what was happening in the early church. The high priests and, and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they, all these guys, they were, see, uh, so all thousands of people were gathering and flocking, and the church was growing by thousands every day. I mean, this is incredible. Um, and and uh, see, the high priests at this point, uh, they, I think they were not just uneasy about this, I think they were envious they were jealous of the influence that the apostles had, right? And so they have them get arrested again, and they put them uh, in jail overnight. But what happens? What happens? In the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and opens the jail door, okay? Now, I don't want you to uh, forget this, okay? We're talking about the early church and the fact that they were sharing and, you know, all these things. But believe me that there were supernatural things happening in the early church as there are today. So I'm reading this and it says that they were in jail and the angel comes and opens the door and tells them to go back out to the temple courts. You know, and they go out there and they, they begin preaching and then they try to come and find them to take them to the court next morning and they find the jail empty. The door's locked and closed, but the jail's empty, right? What happened? Overnight, angel came and, and freed them, right? On Wednesday nights, uh, our Bible study is on Book of Daniel and I think we have just one more chapter to go. And, you know, one of the things that's really cool about Daniel is, is that, I mean, you have all these crazy visions uh, and, and uh, you know, about the end time prophecies and, and, and all the things that were happening historically at the time as well. But, uh, you know, one really cool thing is how God answers Daniel's prayers. 
You know, and so Daniel was praying, and, and, and it says several times uh, that that angel comes, and then he tells Daniel, "Oh, I have I have the answer from the Lord, you know, for you." It's just, as soon as you began praying, be, uh, uh, God answered, and I have the message, uh, I have the answer that I'm delivering for you to you from God, and so uh, that was really encouraging for me and the group, I think, because the prayer, you know, we're not just. It kind of was, uh, these reciting these spells or anything like that. We're not talking into thin air, but that when you pray, when you pray, there are things happening in the spiritual realm that you don't think about. You don't realize it's happening. Okay, so w- w- just know that when you're praying, it's it's not uh, just mindless mumbling of words, or or it's for your own or, or psychological uh, kind of uh, you know release that you're praying, but you're actually interacting in the. Sp- a supernatural realm in the spiritual realm and so in book of daniel that happens and i see here and they're in jail they're praying and they're praising and then an angel comes and frees them and puts them out there again to continue to preach continue to preach you know somebody said i forget who said this um somebody said i am invincible um i will i will you know i'm invincible until i finish what god has called me to do so it's like, you know, uh, if you think about that, that's a pretty amazing statement. And if, if, if every Christian uh, lived life in that way, not being afraid of, of, of taking risks, not being afraid of, um, you know, making some sacrifices and compromises here and there for your own co- personal comfort, you know, these things, um, or, or exploring how God is calling me. Because, you know, I am invincible. I could do this. I, I'm going to get away with this because until God calls me, and then, you know, as soon as I finish what I'm supposed to be doing you know god's gonna take me i guess but um but to live with that kind of a uh, just complete abandonment uh, for the call of god i think that's amazing and I, I i think that's this was already their second time being jailed you know and this time uh, they were freed by the angel overnight and, and prayer is powerful um and so anyway so they're, they're, the jail's empty, so they, they were looking for them, and they come, the, and they said, they're, they're preaching again in the courts. And so they said, okay, go grab them, go bring them to the court. We're, we're already here. And so they, they grab the Peter and the, the apostles, um, they bring them. And it says that um, uh, the, the leaders at this time, after Peter, you know, we read that, and he said, you know, I, I'd rather obey God than you guys. Um, and he said they were furious, and they wanted to kill them. They wanted to execute them. They wanted to put them to death. Okay, but here's interesting. Uh, Gamaliel, um, who was a very respected teacher, he gets up. He, he actually has the apostles go out, um, and it's just them. Remember that courtroom picture? Um, so it's just them right now. And uh, he begins to talk to them, talk to the rest of the religious leaders, okay? Because uh, they're furious. They're just, you know, oh, we're going we're gonna to stone them and just ex- execute them right now. Um, and uh, what does Gamaliel say? He says, um, actually, let me read from the text instead of paraphrasing. Gamaliel, he, uh, he got up and he addressed them. He says this, men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So he's uh, reminding them of uh, some of these other people that came in the past. Um, and they just kind of fizzled out. They got killed, or every, you know, everybody went away. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will what? Only find yourself fighting against God. Right? So he says, I mean, this is some serious wisdom here. Especially in, especially in, this, especially in, this, in this context. Like, look, look, if it's just what they're trying to accomplish, what they're doing, then it's going to fizzle out. It'll go away. Just leave them alone. But let's just pretend for a moment this is from God. This is, in fact, what God is doing right now in our community, in our, in our nation, in our people. Then you know what you're doing is you're just fighting against the Almighty God. You're just rebelling against God. Is that what you want? See, you know what this gives away? And they actually go along with this, right? I mean, they, they whip them. They flog them severely um, uh, and lets them go. But they go along with this. And it, this makes me think that they were seeing all that was happening. And they couldn't help but to acknowledge that maybe there is something here. Maybe there is something. If they were completely, utterly convinced this was complete heresy, then they might have been more aggressive, more resolute in their, in their, in their uh, you know, desire to kill them and just wipe out the movement altogether. But they go along with this. And the fact is, they couldn't ignore, they could not ignore all that was happening. They could not ignore all that was happening in their community. The orphans, the widows, you know, the poor, they were being taken care of like never before. Even with all the you know, high priests and the Pharisees and all the system that they had uh, in the temple, they were being taken care of by these, these followers of Jesus. They weren't being called Christians at this time yet. Okay? These followers of Jesus, uh, like never before, and people were getting healed. But they still couldn't bring themselves to be a part of this group. Right? Uh, you go back uh, several verses earlier. It says that all these things were happening, but then there were people who just couldn't bring, people were in awe, but there were people, group of people, others who couldn't join them, who couldn't bring themselves to join this group. And I think these guys are those guys. And even as you're seeing all these things that are happening, why is it that they're, they're not able to bring themselves uh, to join this group? Group, to honestly begin exploring what was happening in this group. Hmm? There's fear, right? There's fear and there's pride, right? Um, see, I, I was thinking about this and what is going on here and what is Gamaliel essentially talking about here? He's talking about movement. He's talking about a movement. Okay, this is a very important thing for us to understand as we, as we un- study the book of Acts and study the early church. Um, he's talking, Camilla is talking about movement. He's, he's saying that if it's a movement from God, then it's going to continue to go on and you can't fight against this movement, right? The thing that was difficult for these high priests and ver- the high Pharisees and religious leaders, Sadducees, you know, for them, uh, that was, you know, what was difficult for them to accept was the fact that these apostles, these early followers of Jesus, they were breaking all these rules. <laughs> they were breaking all these rules, okay? 
That was what was difficult for them. I'm not a fan of breaking rules just for the sake of breaking them. I know some people are. Some people just like to, you know, rules are there to be broken. Laws are there to be broken. And I'm not one of those people. But I do see in some cases when, you know, uh, you have to really think hard. You know, maybe it is justified, you know, uh, for us to cross some lines and and, and break some rules uh, in order to make necessary advances in our society or in the church even, right? Now, you look at these apostles, it's just a ragtag of just weird group. Like, they don't, as, as far as these uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and high priests, these guys are concerned, you know, they didn't go to good schools. They didn't have advanced degrees. Uh, they didn't have, you know, uh, education. They were not part of the elite wealth, wealthy circles, right? Um, uh, in fact, wh- what were their backgrounds? Do you remember some of these backgrounds of these apostles? Fishermen, they got fishermen. They got people who used to collect taxes, right? They got people who used to extort people, right, uh, uh, from these. And then, yeah, and then the, just uh, we got, you, got, you, know, uh, you got former prostitutes, right? You got people who used to sell their bodies, right, for profit. Um, you got uh, really poor people. You got people who are um, disabled. They're not physically well, but some of them are formally physically disabled because they were healed, right, by Jesus or by the disciples because they're constantly getting healed. You got, don't be offended, you got women, right? <laughs> you got, right? But back then, I mean, you, you know, women, like, what, what's going on here? You know, they shouldn't be doing this stuff. Why are they, they're too loud. They need to be quiet, okay? So all this is happening. They don't like it. Just they're challenging, directly challenging the status quo, okay? They're, they're, and, and they don't like it. So, so at a certain point, even as you're able to see the truth of what is happening, the reality that's so in your face, You don't want to admit it. You don't want to be a part of it, even as you realize that is the truth. That is what is right. And Peter says, I'd rather obey God than men. Right? Uh, There's an author by the name of David Bosch, and he has a book called Transforming Mission. Um, And he says this, the difference between an institution and a movement is that one crosses boundaries, but what? The other guards the boundaries. Okay, the difference between an institution and movement is that one crosses boundaries, but the other guards them. With that in mind, can you immediately identify the two groups in this story here? The, the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, the people who are the pastors, people who are the elders of the day, people who are in power of the day during that time, they were representing what? Institution, right? Whereas the apostles, the early followers of Jesus, they were part of not an institution, but what? Movement. That's right, okay? They were part of the movement. And we can see that immediately. And in order to keep the institution alive, just to keep the institution alive, they, they had to guard these boundaries. Look, they're breaking boundaries. They're pushing it. They're stretching it too far. And, at the, and they were doing that while ignoring, choosing to ignore with their eyes wide open what was happening right in front of them. People getting healed, people getting saved, people getting helped, people getting fed. People coming together in the community. The apostles, the early church believers, they were part of a movement. Okay. So I'm going to throw out a question. You look at the church today and everybody talks about 
how, especially in the United States and Europe is already there, but how everybody's leaving the church. They don't want to be part of the church. So you, you, you think about that. You, you, you think about why in that time, in a matter of those weeks, thousands of people were coming to Christ in faith through Peter's simple preaching. Peter didn't have sophisticated sermons with you know, fancy analogies and, and, and chicken soup for the soul type of you know, uh, stories to, to really you know, bring people in and make them tear up and you know, move them emotionally. No, it was, it was just what? Repent and be baptized. That was it. Ultimately, that was what it was, right? People were flocking to that, but institution was missing the core message. They would miss the message, the spirit of the law. There's a, 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 a person by the name of Simon Sinek. Um, I know you guys are, most of you are familiar with the TED Talk, right? How many of you like TED Talk? I, I love uh, TED Talk. And uh, this particular talk by a guy named Simon Sinek, I'm going to ask you guys to actually look it up on your own and, and watch it because uh, whether you are, whatever you're doing, um, It is tremendously helpful. Uh, if you're running a business, if you're trying to run a program, if you're you know, in leadership of any, any capacity, in any capacity, even at home as parents, this is a very helpful TED Talk. I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm not going to play it for you. Uh, but this is, uh, he talks about a concept of golden circle. Okay, and I just want to reference it uh, just briefly. Um, yeah, okay, so this is the first golden circle. And uh, It looks so simple, it looks so simple, but it really helps us to understand how we uh, function and how movements begin, okay? Um, and so the, the, the outer circle is, is what, right? Um, that's, you know, uh, so you, you're looking at a company or whatever, everybody in this world knows what they do, okay? We make computers, we make cars, Okay, we are a law firm. You know, we provide law services, okay? And how is, is how you do it. You know, we make nice cars, but how is, you know, yeah, it's a nice car because we put in GPS system, we put in, we put in in-car, you know, Wi-Fi system and all these things, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, we are a law firm and uh, we have like hundreds of uh, really talented lawyers from top schools, you know, that's how. You know, but he was saying that not a lot of companies know, not a lot of people know why they do what they do. They think, you know, oh, yeah, it's for profit. It's to make money. But that's the result of what? You know, it's not why you do these things. So, you know, their you know, familiar ad- advertisement would be we're, you know, we're, we, we're, we make computers. We, have, we were selling computers. We have computers. And then we, our computers in the, in the uh, what, how section, you know, we have the latest Intel processor. It is the fastest. We'll give you the biggest hard drive. You know, it comes with the monitor. Okay. Do you want to buy one? That would be how they would advertise it. Now, here comes a company like Apple. What do they do? They flip the uh, circle. So Mike's going to run over there and then <laughs> change the graphic for us. And what Apple did is they went in from why to out. Instead of trying to sell computers to people, they sold why to people. So unlike other companies that sell computers, they, they give you pictures of their computers and they give you, you know, explain all the features and specs of their computers. What Apple does is, what? Everything we do, we challenge the status quo. We think differently. We want to change the world. Our products are beautifully designed and we happen to make great computers. Do you want to buy one? They go complete the opposite way. So what, what, what's happening here? The first, you're looking at the ad and, you know, 
Maybe you need a computer, so you're thinking about it. it. You know, I've already done my research, so I know what all the specs and all these things mean, but I'm not particularly inspired to go and be loyal to that brand in particular. But you look at an Apple ad, and you are inspired. I don't know if you've seen the latest ads, like in the past, you know, uh, ever since I think iPhone 6 came out or something like that. They don't, they don't show you the specs. They don't tell you what the camera can do. They don't tell you what, 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 how many pixels are. You look at Samsung ads, it's all about how many pixels in the you know, screen and, and all that stuff. Apple, they don't tell you any of that stuff. What do they show you? They show you pictures taken with iPhone, right? You see pictures, and they're beautiful pictures. You're like, take it on iPhone. That, that's all they have to say. You're not inspired by the fact that take, it says on an iPhone. You're inspired by the picture, right? Yeah, I don't want that because I think if I have an iPhone, I could take those pictures, you know? I don't know. But do you realize that spec-wise, Apple iPhone cameras are actually below Samsung cameras on the top-of-the-line cameras? Do you realize that? It's not the phone that makes good pictures. And in fact, after the Super Bowl, Tim Cook proved this. He was at the Super Bowl game. Tim Cook, you guys know Tim Cook, right? He's the CEO, right, of, of Apple. He tweeted a couple pictures from the field after the Super Bowl because he's the CEO of Apple. He could be on the field. You know, he's there. But they were like horrible, blurry pictures. And so all these tweeters, you know, all the comments were like, oh, gosh, you know, iPhone camera is horrible. You know, Tim Cook, what are you doing? And these things. And so he had to take the picture down. I, I kind of hope that he had left it up there, but he actually took it down after a couple of days because, uh, you know, backlash against iPhone's camera was so horrible. See what's happening there? It's not the camera, but Apple is going from, we, you know, we want to change the world. Do you remember the older commercials about Gandhi and Muhammad and Ali and, uh, you know, do you remember those commercials? And it's like, is this about computers or what? Like going back to the whole 1984 commercial, the, you know, uh, dystopian society, and then somebody comes and shatters that, that big brother type of dictator picture. Do you remember that? Some of you, okay. <laughs> um, if you don't, congratulations, you're young. Good job, okay. Um, all right. And you look at that, you're like, yeah, that's how I feel. I'm boiling up inside. And they just flash, yeah, we make computers. You want to buy one? Yeah, just take my money here. Because I want to be part of that. Because that's inspiring, right? It's almost like Apple started a movement. Whereas Dell was an institution. Gateway was an institution. So you apply that to our situation. You apply that to church. Maybe we are having the problem in the church that we are having because church is now just an institution. People are just trying to keep it alive as an institution. We need to keep this going because of what? You know, because of uh, all the, the, the things that go into the what circle. But they are forgetting to, we are forg- we're, we're ignoring, we're, we're uh, forgetting to talk about the why. See, you look at the early church, and what is happening here is that people got the why. The, the how and the what, it just came naturally. Because they knew what the why was. But if, you're just, if you just keep shoving what in people's faces, they may be, oh, you know, at first with the what, but eventually there's no substance. So you look at what's happening here, and that's what Gamaliel is saying. Look, look, at, look at what's happening. The what, it looks the same. All the people that came along before, but if the why is right, 
then you know what? You, you're fighting in vain. You're fighting against God, in fact. Right? So, remember that Peter's preaching was pretty much just about repentance and forgiveness. And that simple message, how does that go on to change the history and the future of the world? Because of the why at the center of the circle, they got the message of forgiveness and redemption. And as a result, when their own fundamental problems at the core were addressed, they were able to take themselves, we were able to take ourselves out of the center of the universe and have a greater perspective, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing the orphans. All of a sudden, I'm seeing the people who are suffering. All of a sudden, I'm I'm seeing those people who are in spiritual bondage because I'm no longer at the center of the universe. That's how the early church was able to meet the felt needs. They weren't just preaching these messages, but they were actually meeting the felt needs of the people. When we repent, meaning change our minds about Jesus Christ and realize the world is not about me, we are then able to engage the world in a completely different perspective. And that's when movement begins. So to close, I just want to look at the last couple of verse. 41. 40. Gamaliel persuades the leaders So he, you know, it says his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Okay, so they were whipped. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into detail, but flogging is not just, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty serious stuff. It's pretty severe. Um, It does a lot of, it tears up your flesh, in in fact, the the way they used to do it back then. And then they order them not to speak in the name of, remember, the thing that keeps coming up is don't speak in the name of Jesus. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. We talked about that last time. Uh, Not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, let's see what happens. Is this a movement of God or what? Let's see what happens. And this is what blows me away every time I read this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing their backs raw right now from the flogging completely torn up okay but they were walking away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name that never happens again.